Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? So we fix not our eyes on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is seen is just temporary, but what is unseen, that's forever. We're in a series we've been calling Investing in Forever. We're talking about this issue of of making decisions today, understanding that our decisions today impact profoundly the way we live forever. There's a point at which we we can no longer make decisions that define our forever. There's a point at which we're going to stand before God and all of the second chances and 90 second chances that he's given us are over. And here we are. We're facing millions and millions, infinite number of years before us. And so now we're trying to think intentionally about where we're going in our lives and how that's setting up our forever, understanding those simple uh, decisions. And so actually it's been, uh, this whole concept's been two series in a row. If you've been around for a while, you know the series before this one we called The Journey of Life. And we talked about those decisions that we make in terms of growing to spiritual maturity. We talked about uh, the relationships that we need to grow into maturity. We actually redesigned our whole small group system. We call bridge groups now. In September we've been promoting our small groups. And this past week we kicked off our whole new small group system. Anybody curious about what happened this past week? Across the bridge this past week, uh, I'm going to tell you whether you're curious or not. I didn't see much response. But this past week, we kicked off 48 bridge groups with 521 people registered for those groups. Can we say praise God for what he's doing? I just got an amazing sense that God's about to do something really cool. And let me just say to you procrastinators among us, if you didn't get signed up, we're going to give you one more day. Okay, so just go go to the Bridge app or go to the website and click groups and and you can get in and be a part of the group. We launched our first Clayton community group, our Bridge group this past week. And so we kicked off this past week with 12 people in a Clayton group. So we're just expecting God to do some really cool stuff in the days ahead. And then this series, we've been talking about the same kind of stuff, this idea of making decisions. In fact, if you put those two series together, you understand that we've, we're talking about how we invest our time, and now we're talking about how we invest our money, which are the two biggies. At the end of the day, lots of other things come and go in our lives, but how we invest our time and how we invest our finances ultimately have a huge impact on how we live forever. So let's get into it this morning. I don't have a long sermon for you. We're going to come bring our offerings, an offering fit for the king uh, before us this morning. But I have a devotional thought that just kind of gets you thinking and get the wheels turning and just kind of seal our hearts as we move forward into this. So let's kick off. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. I think it applies to us. He says, since you do this, I think we could say since we, the bridge, do this. So let's read it together, okay? Since you excel in so many ways. Can I get an amen about the bridge? Yeah, man. Excellence around this place. You excel in your faith, in your gifted speakers, in your knowledge, in your enthusiasm, in your love. Paul said, I want you also to excel in this gracious act of giving. Now, let me say something uh, to make that clear. This idea, this gracious act of giving is more than just kind of an adjective to define giving. He's talking about something other than the amount you give. That word grace in the original manuscript is the word charis. Uh, we get the word charismatic from. It has to do with the flavor behind. It has to do with the attitude. It has to do with the infectiousness. It has to do with having been influenced by the grace of God. And so what he's talking about in this idea of giving, he said, I want you to excel in, in 
understanding the grace of God that you have received in so many different kinds of ways, and then I want your giving to be a demonstration of that same kind of graciousness. Please understand, grace giving has very little to do with the amount that you give. It has everything to do with the attitude from which you give it. It's not about numbers. It's about the heart. And so he said, you excel in all these other ways. I want you to excel in this idea of graciousness. And so uh, at the end of the day, that's what offering fit for the king is all about. We have an opportunity to come once a year as a church family and, and say, Lord, out of the abundance of the way you've blessed me spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially, I want to give a portion of that back. If you're a first-time guest today, please don't feel obligated to participate in the offering at the end of the service. Church family, here's a chance for you to demonstrate what God is doing in your life. And, and we're going to bring our gold envelopes to the front. If you've got your gold envelope uh, it's, it, prepared, then you're ready to go. If you don't, just use a regular envelope that's in the chair. You can still give digitally, give online. Kim and I did that this morning. We, we went online and gave our gift this morning so we could be a part of offering fit for a king as well. But before we do that, uh, again, just a devotional thought about attitudes toward giving. I want us to understand that there are several options in terms of attitudes, and I want us to check our own before we bring this offering this morning, okay? Hear me. Uh, Generosity has more to do with attitude than amount, so let's get into it. I'm talking about the Good Samaritan story. Very familiar story. How many heard of the Good Samaritan? If you've never been to church in your life, you've probably heard of the Good Samaritan. It's one of those common kind of stories. And it's the story of a guy who was headed out of town and got mugged and left for dead. And in the mugging, they took everything he had, beat him up, left him for dead. So that's the guy. That's the principal character in our story. But then there are three more characters in our story, each of whom displayed a particular attitude toward their possessions, and that's what I want us to zero in on. If you've been in church at all, you've probably heard the Good Samaritan story taught many different ways, but today I want us to focus in on their attitude toward possessions that defined ultimately their actions. Let me say it this way. Attitudes always lead to actions, and so we're going to look at their attitudes and then find out the actions that it led to. Is that worth a few minutes of our time? Can can we do that for a few minutes? We'll still beat the Baptist to the restaurant. Don't worry. We'll we'll get there, okay? Okay. Uh, let's take a minute and look at it, okay? Uh, the story is found in, in Luke chapter 10. If you've got the Bridge NC app, you can follow along. Brought your Bible, brought your smartphone. You know, use your Bible online, but, but go with me to Luke chapter 10. Uh, and, and Jesus actually tells us in this story, he didn't just tell the story, he tells us to assess ourselves. He, he, here's what he says in verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The, the implication of his question was not just which one of them were a neighbor, but how are you doing? What, what kind of neighbor are you? What is your attitude toward the possessions that you have been blessed with and the needs of the people that are around you? How does their attitude compare to yours? So that's what I want us to do. We're going to walk through this quickly, but kind of give some thought to their attitude and yours. Let's get into it. The first one are the muggers, the robbers, the bad guys. And their motto was, what's yours is mine, I'm going to take it. What's yours is mine, I'm going to take it. Say it with me. What's yours is mine, I'm going to take it. I didn't say say it to the guy sitting beside you. I just said repeat it after me. Their, their attitude is this. It, it's, it's, I'm not content with what I have. I see that you have something I want. Therefore, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to take it. 
Um, and that's the attitude that they, uh, that, that's the spirit of the motto of them. Let's read it, okay? Verse 30. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. You got the picture, right? Bad guy saw him. Mm, he's got something I want. Beat him up, left him for dead, took his stuff. So what's their attitude? Their attitude is greed. Their attitude is uh, greed is a good thing. So let me just ask you. Aren't you glad you don't have anybody in your life like that? Aren't you glad there aren't many people in the world like that? Almost nobody in the world like that, right? Is, is, that, is, is that a common problem? Is there a reason that, uh, that coveting made it in the top ten, the ten biggies? Is there a reason for that? Is there a reason that Paul said even to believers learn to be content? Is there a reason why that's there? Is this, is this a more common battle than most of us would prefer to admit? It is, isn't it? I mean, even Jesus himself said in Luke 12, 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's as if Jesus knew that our default setting would be greed and we would have to fight to get out of that mode. Right? It's almost as if he knew the culture would feed the default setting. You know what the culture says, right? I mean, you've seen the bumper sticker. It's around all over the place. The one who dies with the most toys wins. You've seen that one? That's what the culture says. We're bombarded with that message every day. There are people with master's degrees who spend 60, 70, 80 hours a week trying to figure out ways to convince you that that's true. The problem is, it kind of is. Is it true? I mean, you buy a new car, how do you feel? Well, you're just enjoying this thing. Man, this is cool. You just drive, leave the sticker on the window for a little while so people can see you got your new car. You know, kind of love that. The problem, of course, is that it's short-lived. It's short-sighted. Before you're finished making payments, the new car smell is gone. And there's ice cream and the carpet in the back, and you just leave it there because you ain't got time to clean it up. And there's pie papers piled up in the seat beside you because this really is a rolling office is all it is. Hello, are you out there? How many of you, your car, your truck is your rolling office? Come on. <laughs> it is. That's just the way we live, right? And so all this thing that we get all wound up and excited about is really cool. Just after a while, it becomes commonplace. It only lasts for a little while. Jesus says, the one who dies with the most toys doesn't win. The one who dies with the most toys dies. The only question is, in the process of accumulating that stuff, did you invest in forever? Did you prepare for that day that you're going to stand before me and, and, and whatever you've done is going to define what you're going to do for the rest of all eternity? The robber's motto was, what's yours is mine I want it. I'm going to take it. Their attitude toward their possessions then was greed. The second character in our story is actually two people. It's a priest and a Levite. They were the religious guys of the day. And their motto was, what's mine is mine. I'm going to keep it. Say it with me. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. One more time. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. Is that a struggle? Yeah, sometimes. Let's go back to the story, Luke 10, verse 31 and 2. The priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. You, you got the picture, right? So the, the muggings already happened. The guy's laying there bleeding and, and dying. And, and the priest comes along and goes, hmm, I got other things to do, crosses over and gets on by. The Levite does the same thing. Again, if you've been in church very long, you've heard sermons on this, and there's all kind of conjecture about why, they were, uh, why their motives were and, and why they were doing what they were doing and where they were going and, and, and all the stuff. And, and you can... That, that's a fun conversation to have. But the bottom line is, here's what I know. Their attitude was selfishness. All I really know is that they didn't care about him as much as they cared about them. They didn't care about what he was doing as much as what they cared about what they were doing. And selfishness is a very real issue. Can we, can we just be honest in church? That's where we all start out. Hello. You ever, you ever heard the, 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 the toddler's approach to possessions? You, you ever heard of this? You, you know what I'm saying, right? Here, here, here's how it goes. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If, it, if I had it first, it's mine. If it's on the floor, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If it's in your hand... It's mine. If I want it, it's mine. If it's broke, you can have it. <laughs> That's kind of the toddler's approach to it. But guys, we're supposed to grow up and get past that stuff. We're, we're supposed to fight that stuff. But, but hear me, it doesn't come naturally. Generosity comes supernaturally. It comes out of an intentional decision that I'm going to be a gracious giver. I'm going to recognize the grace that God has given me, and I'm going to give out of that grace, not just financially, but in terms of time and talent and all sorts of things. That's who I choose to be. I choose to be a generous person. Have you ever done any research on synonyms for the word generous? Have you ever gone to one of them thesaurus things and and looked it up? I I did recently just to see, and I saw words like big-hearted, open-handed, charitable, Giving, those are good synonyms for generous. How about antonyms, the opposite? Any of those words come to mind? Tight-fisted, miserly, that's a good word, isn't it? So I looked up miserly. I said, what's miserly do? What's the root of miserly? The the word uh, miserly is misery, same root word. Miserable, same root word. Here's another one, parsimonious. That's a good word, right? I just like that word. It's just a cool word. I just thought I'd say it to you. It means stingy. Uh, Kim says that it means you agree with the preacher. <laughs> Parson, harmonious, contraction, forget about it. Anyway, it's <laughs> parsimonious. That's one of those words you don't have to know what it is and know what it is. It just carries this idea. You know where miserly gets you, though? I heard about a guy who was rich and hoarded all his wealth, and he made his wife promise. He said, people say you can't take it with you, but when I die, I want you to liquidate all of my assets, and I want you to put them in my casket because I'm going to take it with me. And he told everybody he knew that that's what he wanted her to do. And so when he died, she was under pressure, knowing that all of their friends were waiting to see if she was going to do and honor his request. And so sure enough, it came time for the visitation, and and the casket is there. And she goes up to the casket, and everybody's sitting back watching and and leaning and 
you know, stretching their necks to see what she's doing. And sure enough, she puts something in the casket. And when she leaves, one of them finally has the courage to say, did you honor your husband's last request? And she said, well, of course I did. Well, what did you put in the casket? I wrote him a check. <laughs> That's what you get, guys. You can't take it with you. It just makes you miserable trying to hold on to it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. I've got to move on, but can I, can I just pause for a moment and say that one of the things I love about you guys, uh, sincerely, one of the things I love about you guys is not just uh, your generosity in terms of giving to the church. I love that. But I love the way we as a church celebrate giving away a major portion of what you give here. Uh, those of you who are here on our 100th anniversary, when Pastor Andy came up and, and said, you know, we had big plans for our 100th anniversary service and, and we had cupcakes lined up and we had all these things we were going to give you and we decided together that, you know, yeah, we, we'd rather give that money to somebody that got hurt in the hurricane than to share cupcakes together. And you, you were here, you know, you know what you guys did that day? You broke into applause because there's this spirit that says, I don't, want more. I want to give more. I'd rather go out and help somebody than to get some more myself. And I love that spirit. There's not a parsimonious person in the house. I just had to use that word one more time because it's a cool word, okay? You can go home and say parsimonious if you can get that out. <laughs> no parsimony here. Okay, I'm done. I promise I'm done. The robbers were greedy. Their attitude was what's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. The religious guys were selfish. Their motto was, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. But there's a third player in our story, and he was the Samaritan, had a totally different motto that's implied in the story. Let's see if we can capture it. I say it this way. What's mine is a gift. I'm going to share it. What's mine is a gift. I'm going to share it. Say it with me. What's mine is a gift. I'm going to share it. You can actually say that one to somebody if you want to. What's mine is a gift. I'm going to share it. Look at verse 33 of Luke 10. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, there's a couple of things Again, familiar story, not going to spend a lot of time unpacking the story, but there's a couple of things I want to make sure you get out of what just happened. So, so you got the picture, right? The Samaritan stopped what he was doing, whatever it was he was doing, helping this guy was more important. He stopped, picked him up, bandaged his wounds, cleaned him up himself, total stranger, dealing with the, all the stuff that's associated with a mugging, cleaned him up, carried him to a place, paid for his care, said, I'll come back and settle accounts later. I want to make sure this guy is taken care of. Here's what I want you to get from this guy. First of all, we don't have any clue how much uh, the Samaritan actually had, do we? Is there anything in the story that tells us that he was a rich man or a poor man or whatever? Anything in the story? 
See, what that tells me is that generosity, again, is not a measure of how much you gave. It's a measure of attitude, and it tells me that generosity is not measured by how much you gave as much as it is how much you have left after you have given. Right? I mean, if I, Travis sitting down here on the second row, if I reach in my pocket and say, here, Travis, here's 100 bucks, am I generous? You don't have no way of knowing whether I'm generous or not because you don't know how much i got left in my pocket when I'm done. If I've got $200 and I give him one of them, that's probably a pretty generous offer. But if i got a million-dollar check in my pocket and I give him 100 bucks, I'm pretty stingy, aren't I? You see, generosity is not measured by how much you gave. It's, it's measured by how much you kept for yourself after you're done. And so there's no way of us knowing other than to say this Samaritan said, I- I'm going to make sure this guy's taken care of whatever the cost. And if it's more than I think it is, let me know, and I'll pay that too. I want to make sure he's taken care of. The second thing I want you to get about this guy and his attitude, this huge, uh, is again implied in the the passage, not clear in the text. The, The odds are that the man who was mugged was a Jew. Traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, that's Jewish territory. The Samaritan lived in the north, and the Jews and the Samaritans had had prejudicial racism issues against each other for centuries. The Jews had looked down on the Samaritans forever. When Jesus was here on earth, he went to Samaria and ministered to the woman at the well when, in fact, most Jews walked all the way around Samaria if they had to go north of that place because they looked down on the Samaritans so hard. So here's a Samaritan. Here's a guy who is ministering to somebody who, as far as he knows, is a racist. Is this registering? As far as he knows, this guy talked bad about his race that day. And he has no way of knowing whether his actions will change that Jewish man's heart or not. In other words, he didn't care for that guy because he thinks somehow he's going to get something from that guy or somehow change that guy. He cared for that guy because of who he is. He said, I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to be generous regardless of the response from the people that I bless. Is this registering? So it's an attitude that I am grateful for what I have. Therefore, out of my gratitude for what God has blessed me with, I'm going to share some of it. I'm not going to be discontent and try to get more no matter what it costs. I'm not going to be discontent and hoard what I've got for fear that I won't have enough. I'm going to be grateful for what I've been given, and I'm going to share that with the needs that are around me. Now, I dare say this Samaritan, because the Samaritans had a lot of training in the Old Testament just like the Jews, that he understood uh, what we've come to call the law of the harvest. He understood Psalm 112, verse 5, good will come to him who is generous. He understood Proverbs eleven twenty five: a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. He understood the law of the harvest. The, the music team's coming back, and we're going to go back into worship and song in just a moment. But while they're coming, I want you to reflect on that for just a minute. You know the law of the harvest, right? Some of you perhaps don't, so let's make sure we're clear about it. The law of the harvest says you reap what you sow, right? So if you 
sow corn seed, what kind of plants do you get? Somebody say corn. Corn. So you reap what you sow. You don't plant corn seed and get soybeans. You just... That's not how it works, right? You reap more than you sow. You sow two kernels of corn, what do you get? Some of you farmers, gardeners, you know what you get? You get two ears of corn. Two kernels produces two ears. So you reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and there is, third, a time frame between the sowing and the reaping. You put the seeds in the ground in the spring, you get the harvest in the fall. That's the principle of the law of the harvest. And this guy clearly understood it as a good Samaritan. He would have studied the Old Testament. He understood those principles, and he gave out of that abundance, knowing that if there is a return on what I'm about to do, I may or may not even see it this side of eternity. And I love it when God pours out a blessing. I love the stories that I'm hearing some of you tell where you made a commitment to offering fit for a king in your heart, and before you even wrote the check, God did this amazing thing, and you're seeing it return to you already. Several of people told me stories after first service. I love those stories. But at the end of the day, guys, there's an understanding that, yeah, I'm going to reap what I sow. I'm going to reap more than I sow. There's very likely be a time period between the sowing and the reaping, and it may actually be an eternity, but that's okay because I'm not sowing in order to get. I'm sowing because that's who I am. I am a grace giver. I have received the grace of God. Therefore, I'm going to be gracious in what he's blessed us with. It's almost like there's these scales in heaven, and every time you put something on your side, God says, no, 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 I won't be in debt to you. And he puts more on his side, so the balance is always in his favor. So i got to wrap this up. Music team's coming. Which motto, Jesus said, which one's the most neighborly by implication, which one are you? The robber's attitude, I said attitudes lead to actions, right? The robber's attitude was greed, and it led to the action of the guy was about to die, may well have died. The religious guy's attitude was selfish, led to the guy about to die. The Samaritan's attitude was gratitude, and what did that lead to? It saved the man's life. Did it cost the Samaritan something to do that? Sure it did. We don't know how much, and we don't know how much of his total assets he allocated to it, but it cost him something. Was it worth it? It was worth it to the guy whose life he saved. I can promise you that. And in eternity, I have no doubt that it was worth it to the Samaritan's life. So offering fit for a king is an opportunity in tangible, practical ways for us to say, I choose to be a grace giver, a gracious giver. How did Paul say it, Second Corinthians? Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love, I want you to also excel in this gracious act of giving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the incredible blessings that you bestow on, bestow on us every day. You give us breath. You give us life. 
The sun came up this morning. The beautiful day that we're enjoying. Day after day after day, you show up in incredible and amazing ways. Even when circumstances of our lives are not what we wish they were or hope they were, there are still so many ways that your blessings are consistently making themselves known to us. And we thank you for it. Now I pray simply that in these next few moments as we as a church family demonstrate our desire to be a gracious giver, that we would do so knowing that it's out of an attitude of gratitude, that it's this deep desire to say, Lord, I am yours, and I thank you for the privilege of demonstrating it in a practical kind of way. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said together, amen.